Hey, it's Andrew. Just quickly before we start this episode, I want to tell you about one of my favorite podcasts, the Secure Ventures Podcast. The host, Kyle McNulty, interviews cybersecurity founders about what they are building. I enjoy it because Kyle focuses on their technology, what it solves, why they build it, where it fits in the market. Also, listeners can understand the why of these startups. In some ways, it's a great compliment to my own podcast, where I focus on the go-to-market side, not on the technology side. He's had some great guests on recently, for example, the CEO of Reality Defender, when they talked about the ins and outs of deep fate detection. Uh, he's had the co-founder and CEO of Ghost Security, and also the co-founder of Radical, Chris Peterson, who was incidentally a founder of Logarithm, where they talk about the role of AI in the SOC. This is not a paid promotion. I just simply enjoy what Kyle is doing with his interviews and get a lot out of them. Check it out. It's the Secure Ventures podcast. Now on with this episode. The enterprise browser is one of the hottest spaces right now in cybersecurity. And in this episode, we chat with Doris Z, the co-founder and CEO of Red Access. And Red Access has a different approach to the whole category of the enterprise browser. Listen out in this episode for their differentiation, the three guiding principles with which they're building the company and also the product, the big deal it was when they won their first customer, uh, how Door supports the first sellers that he brought into the company, and then also why Door won't be doing any shark dives anytime soon. Don't go away. Welcome to the Sales Bluebird podcast, where we help cybersecurity startups grow sales faster. I am go-to-market guy, Andrew Monaghan. Our guest today is Doors V, co-founder and CEO at Red Access. Dor, welcome to Sales Bluebird. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, Dor, I'm looking forward to this conversation for a couple of different reasons. Uh, one is, looking at your background, you're a first-time founder, and I love talking to folks who are, you know, decided to change their lives and embark on a journey where they want to not just change their own lives, but also make a big impact on our industry. And the second reason I'm, I'm kind of excited about the conversation is that you're in a category which a year and a half ago did not exist. And uh, if you kind of think about you know the hotter categories in cybersecurity right now, I would put the one that you're in being one of those ones. So I'm keen to understand how you're thinking about that area, um, how you're different to the other players that have you know jumped into the space, and uh, how, you, how you're ultimately going to be successful and make a mark on the on the industry. So it's going to be, for me, an interesting conversation. A quick break to say that this episode is sponsored by IT Harvest. With over 3,200 vendors in cybersecurity, it is hard to keep track of all the latest developments, as well as research and analyze categories and subcategories within cybersecurity, which is where the IT Harvest cybersecurity platform comes in. Want to know which subcategories in cloud security are growing the fastest? You'll get it in a few clicks. Want to know and track everything about your main competitors and keep up with their hiring and news? Simple search to be done. Want to know the top 20 fastest growing companies based out of Israel? Easy, just a couple of clicks to get that. IT Harvest is the first and only research platform dedicated to cybersecurity. And it's run by Richard Steenen, who has done it all in cybersecurity. From the VP of research at Gartner, a CMO at a cybersecurity vendor, a lecturer on cybersecurity, advisor to startups, advisory board member at startups, 
and a main board member as well, the whole lot. Find out more by going to salesbluebird.com slash research. That's salesbluebird.com slash research. Now back to the episode. But let's go back to uh, your history a little bit, Dor. As, as I look through your LinkedIn resume, um, like, like many, you, you, you spent uh, a few years in the IDF. Uh, you came out of there. Looks like you went to startup Solbit yep. uh, for a couple of years. You were security researcher, developer, and then Solbit got acquired by Mimecast. Um, you then spent two and a half years at Mimecast. Um, and then after a while you, of there, you said, you know, what I really want to do is give up the, the security and the, and the comfortableness of being in a, in a corporate environment and get a, a regular paycheck, and I'm going to go and start my own company. <laughs> so uh, it's a big, big change to make. And, I, you know, obviously our conversation this morning is going to be a lot about that. I'm going to do something a little bit differently this morning, Dor. Usually what I would do at this point is say, you know, tell me about Red Access. I'm going to, I'm going to go on a limb and give you my summary of what I think uh, Red Access does based on looking at the website and um, you know, digging into a few things here and there. And you can correct me. It's in all likelihood I've got some or all of this wrong. And uh, I'd love to get you to correct me or, or uh, get, get me back on track at the end of it. All right. So let, let me tee it up this way. So, you know, if you look at uh, over the last 10, 12, I don't know, 15 years, more and more of the work that we do as employees at companies uh, has been going on inside the browser. And it's got to the point right now where for many roles and departments, all of our work is inside the browser. So it kind of makes sense if that shift has happened to think about, well, why don't we secure what happens inside the browser as opposed to just working at the operating system level on Mac OS or Windows or whatever? Because anytime you get closer to data, closer to processes, then your ability to secure them and 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 uh, mitigate the risk associated with that work becomes uh, more relevant and more impactful, I guess, more efficient, right? And that's why I believe in the last you know eighteen months or so, the enterprise browser category has kind of popped up. It makes a ton of sense, and there's some companies that have you know got got some good traction going in that area. If I look at what Red Access does in that that area, it seems to me that you believe that uh, companies should never have to compromise on security, user experience, and ease of management. So that was that was always the, the three things, right? You know, pick two, but you won't get three. Uh, was kind of the mantra for for many years, um, and that's why what Red Access is doing is giving an agentless approach uh, to secure all web traffic. And this is different to everyone else because what everyone else has done is saying. You know, you need to replace your browser with our browser. Now, it might be a Chromium-based browser, but it involves a lift and shift of browsers. Or what they're doing is doing plugins into browsers, which, you know, has pros and cons to go with it. And I think what Red Access is doing is say, look, you'll get all the benefits of having you know, your browser activity, you know, processes or as protected, but without the pain of having to um, change out your browser. And um, it seems to me that... Uh, not only is there the kind of you know, risk mitigation side of doing it in the browser, you're doing it in a way that in, you know, doesn't impact usability, user user um, acceptance. And also there's probably a tools replacement ROI in there as well. If you are doing more in the browser like that, you probably don't have to have as many of the tools that go around it on the machine that you're protecting. 
And that's that's kind of what I read into what Red Access does. So where did I get that wrong? No, you, you get it perfectly the way it is. I mean, I think like that that situation of, of people working from anywhere with different types of devices and, and now um, requiring the same level of productivity and security as before, it's it's the challenge. Now, like every change that, that happens that quick, it has a um, an impact on a wide range of aspects. And I would say like number one, obviously, is security. You need to protect more endpoint devices of, of employees and also you need to protect corporate um, resources that are, are now remotely accessible. Now, number two, which combined together is productivity, because when you change your environment, you change your security, it immediately impacts the performance, the user experience, because usually one comes at the cost of the other, but it should not be the case. And from the company side, I would say like management, as you mentioned. So how, how does the security team manage security solutions in a distributed organization? I would say like even, even the simplest maintenance, upgrade or downgrade, how, how do they support 10,000 of different distributed devices by email, by video call, or I don't know, should, should they send an engineer to each house? Um, so it may sound funny, but, but that's an important question. Um, also, like, how does the security team gain visibility on what happens? So that, that's, a, I think, a great change of, of hybrid work, but also come new um, challenges that need to be addressed right now. Um, so as you mentioned, like, we started from the need to securing the hybrid work. And um, yeah, we developed the first agentless platform, provide a, a non-disruptive way protect devices and browsing sessions from growing cyber threats um, when people are in and outside of the office. So let, let, me, let me go into that a second. So you know, I'm not a technical person, so don't bamboozle me with all the details. But doing it agent-less is, is you know, that's highly attractive anytime you can say that in, in the security world, right? One less agent to worry about. What does that actually mean, though, right? Um, does it mean that they don't have to use your browser? or is there other things going on that we need to be aware of? All right. So I would say first, like it, it started with um, the guideline that we kept in mind that was always zero compromise on security, performance, and user experience. So users do not need to install anything. They continue to work with their preferred browsers, their preferred web applications. For them, it, it's work as usual, but without the risk. Um, now. As well for the security team, I mean, there is no more hassle of managing security agents or solutions um, such as VPN or VDIs just to route the traffic back to the office. We created a, a cloud-based, um, which is a, a solution, which is a unified, I would say, agentless platform that fits all users, the ones that are inside the office or remote users and third-party contractors, um, all devices. Some are managed, some are unmanaged, and even bring your own device. And we protect all the browsing activities. So it's browser agnostic on any browser and also um, any web application. I mean, the browser is at the core of the hybrid work. However, it's far from being the only risky application in the browsing space. There are many more applications that we use on a daily basis, such as uh, file sharing applications or 
chat applications and video conferencing that contain more browsing risks that are not browser-based. Um, so we took that mission of securing a hybrid workforce to try to make security more simple, but also agnostic and, and with a full coverage. When, when you described that to me, the, the one thing that popped in my mind was it sounds like it might be more analogous to like a ZTNA type solution as opposed to just a web enterprise browser. Am I, am I totally off on that? Um, you know, there's a lot of overlap obviously, in cybersecurity. And we also offer a, a ZTNA um, functionality as a part of the product. I would say it works um, in kind of a proxy way, which it is, but, but it's more securing the, in, uh, the content that is inside a browser, protect users from attacks that are happening inside a browser that are invisible for any other layer, let's say a secure web gateway or EDR solution on the endpoint. That's missing layer here of what's happening inside a browser and inside the browsing applications. That's the space we came to protect on. So with that strategic position as a cloud-based solution, yes, it, it is very uh, compelling that we will provide also a, a ZTNA capability or CASB and other um, functionality that we're able to provide. Well, let's go back to the the genesis of Red Access Door. Take us back to that moment in time. Where were you? Um, who were you with when you, you sat there and said, you know, I, I think we might just start a company here. <laughs> uh, where were you? And when was that? All right. I, I would say um, that it, it all started with my, uh, with my partner, actually, Paul, who is a friend since the age of 10. We've been at uh, school together. And um, we served then in the army together and had our first jobs together. So I think like it, in the beginning, it was just him and me identifying challenges in the market that, that we wanted to address. And while we started to develop like a prototype and started to collaborate with uh, design partners, then we got funding, obviously. I think like it's, it's always starting with, right, let's, let's address the needs on market. Then let's test how we can help, which is the, the main brainstorming. And you start testing, then you start validating that with customers, partners, even investors. They're always updated on the market. And after you found something and you got your first, I don't know, partners and design, par and design partners, um, identifying that challenge, starting developing it, prototype, going out on market, rebuilding your team. That, that's a journey. So I think that based on our experience, first at the Army, then at Solbit, then at Minecraft, that all the way we did together, that, that's created first like, um, it's a partnership that based on a friendship, but also with a, with a sense of, we know that at some point we're going to create something together. Um, so I would say like from that point. And was it easy to, Kind of lose that corporate paycheck. You know, what was your mindset going into it? Was it like, oh, this is this is what I do. I, I've got no problem with it. Or was it a big decision for you to say, yep, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna take this step. I think that that we felt it's time, I and mean, we we started our journey uh, as a part of a small startup, and we chose that specifically because we knew that at some point we would like to create our own company. So we came to learn. We knew that that that's a journey, going to be a complex one. Um, so we came like 
with a state of mind that that we're going to learn process, but also learn to be uh, constantly adapting, evolving, and and learning. And I think that that sharing with other true practitioners, whether whether they be experienced founders, CEOs, or investors, it brought us unique insights and perspective. Um, so it's part of it, like we learn to seek for the people inside and outside the organization that will give us um, real and straight feedback. I believe it's super important to create an environment that um, facilitates getting feedbacks. And, and based on those experiences early on uh, with Red Access, that are there any misconceptions that people have about what it takes to start a cybersecurity company? Yeah, always. I think that the cybersecurity um, space is, is very crowded. As always, a lot of overlap between companies, and and that's a stage in life. I think like a, any company, not just in the cybersecurity industry, that's a decision you make. Um, for some people, it's gonna be a big decision. You know, you, you have some other responsibilities in life, or um, you never had any kind of experience as entrepreneur. For others, they feel like they, they're born to do it, and for them, it's super neutral. So. It really depends on situation, but as always, especially as a first timer, you got some concerns, but you also got the passion. So you're here to to stand on the guard and, and fight for for your company. And, and was there a moment where you were kind of you know starting to develop the MVP and and starting to get the validation? Was there a moment where you you kind of had a setback and thought, uh, "This is I'm not sure this is going to work out." <laughs> I think like I, I was ready to meet some challenges, so I, I wasn't surprised. And I knew that I, that I guess the, the best CDO in town. So no, I, I never got nervous. Um, I think like the, as you said, that's a new space, but I really really believed in it, and I think that we validated very well the problem before we started that there is a need and the use case is repeatable. So I, I felt okay with it. Okay, it was a, it was the right decision. <laughs> and when when you're talking to a prospect and you either use your your sales deck or you use the product to demo um is there a moment that is like a wild moment where they go oh i get it i, I i've not seen that before something new that just makes them kind of sit up and go oh this is cool yeah for sure i think that the, the concept of the product as you're getting you're getting control on everything but Keeping it agentless was unique. I think like most people, I mean, they're familiar with the, the products that they knew and or they're currently working with uh, secure web gateways, and then know there are some alternatives in the shape of a, of an agent on the desktop, but never heard about an agentless one with it, those capabilities of protecting my activity inside the browser. And the moment I explain the architecture more in a technical way. They get it. And then, then I'm getting a smile. I'm getting a smile. Oh, I understand now. I see that. Wow. All right. So you created something with the capabilities that I need, but you got rid of the baggage from other solutions that I knew. So that that's the wow point. And they understand, all right, I will get the perfect user experience. I will get the security level I want, but also the management part is going to be pretty easy for me. So yeah. That's very compelling, and, and that that's the wow moment. 
It's almost like the magic words, uh, and with no agent. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> no, no one ever said, I, I, wish it, I wish there was another agent out there for me to manage. Um, so, so, yeah, I could see how that would be pretty compelling for people. So they get all the functionality that they want without the, the dreaded, yeah, you have to install my stuff on all your endpoints, right? Exactly. <laughs> so no, that makes perfect sense for me. Let's get to know a bit more about you. I have 35 questions here on my list. The good news, I won't be asking you 35 questions. What I will do is ask you to pick three numbers randomly between 1 and 35, and I will read out the question they correspond to. All right. It's getting interesting. I would pick number 3, um, 12, and 34. 3, 12, and 34. Okay, 3 is, what is the scariest animal out there? Scariest animal, I would say sharks. Sharks, it's when you're like, I don't know, in the deep ocean and come from nowhere in East Territory. Uh, you're like out of clue, nothing to do, can fight with it. Probably the most scary one. I, I, I like that. Um, so quick story. Uh, I've, got, I've got two teenage girls and uh, I thought, you know, uh, I'm going to let them watch Jaws. This was like two or three years ago. And uh, I thought that, you know, my, my first, when I was a kid, was watching Jaws, and I would get scared of my mind about the music and the, and the kind of people getting randomly getting attacked by sharks. And they started watching, and they just started laughing. <laughs> they, they said, Dad, these effects are, these special effects are just not special. You can tell that's a rubber shark. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but it scared me when I was a kid. <laughs> that's a great reaction. So I was, I was kind of pleased about their reaction. Well, not pleased. I, thought it was, I was not surprised with their reaction. But the good thing that came of it was now when we go to the ocean, they're not quite so worried about sharks. I don't, I don't, rubber sharks seem to that what they care about more than, than real sharks. Um, the next, next stage is, is diving with them. So keep in mind. <laughs> oh, have you done that? No, I never. I don't have any plan to. <laughs> All right. That was three. Twelve is window or aisle. I would say window. Any reason? Uh, nothing uh, specific. I would say just, just first answer did pop in mind. Yeah, I, I kind of go back and forward depending on the length of flight, um, whether I prefer a window or aisle. Sometimes on these flights, you don't have much choice these days. In the U.S. anyway, the flights are so packed that uh, you, know, you take what you can get. Um, and the last one you said was 34. So this is an interesting one. You can't pick your own company. Um, which cybersecurity startup do you really admire right now? I would say probably Wiz at the moment got into uh, a space with big competitor. They're starting from ground up pretty fast. I mean, they won a few awards and how fast they grew up. I think like, it, it, I don't know, it gives me a better perspective on even that you got better, I don't know, technology, or even le less better technology. They're always so so affected by by so many verticals. I mean, company it, it depends on your marketing force and sales force, and how fast can you move? How fast can you build your entire company with each department works separately but all together end to end? And I don't know that that's inspiring to see how fast company can grow and and think that Asaf is an amazing entrepreneur to to learn from. Um, so yeah, I would pick that one. Yeah, I, I like that choice. I mean, you have to be living under a rock in the last year and a half not to be impressed with their their success and quite what they've achieved in the last eighteen months or so. 
Um, and we were, we were recording this on the 1st of March, 2023. Just two days ago, they announced that they took another round $300 million at a $10 billion valuation. And I think that, uh, I think that's significant because, you know, it's, it's great they're being so successful, but, you know, in, in a world that we're in right now where valuations have been, you know, hit for the last year or so, you know, obviously I don't know what their ARR is, but, you know, it's somewhere probably just north of $100 million. You're looking at a 25 to 30x valuation, uh, which I think helps the industry when we're looking at raising right now and probably something you're thinking about more than me right now, but, you know, valuations and raising and things like that, it's kind of important, right? Um, everyone's going to be pointing to, to that valuation and saying, yeah, but <laughs> if they can get it, we, we, we should be able to get something close to that as well, which is, I think it's important. I completely agree. I think like last year was a, I call it a big party, but um, I think personally, like personally, I believe that companies should grow more organically and not with, I don't know, blown up um, evaluations or big uh, funding rounds that are oversized. Um, but still, that company against all, all, all that, all that, they took a big chance, big hit, started with a, I don't know, amazing funding round, survived that, but more than survived, they're, they're, seems like they're following KPIs, they're doing great on sales, they grew up that fast. That's why they got that, the next round, I guess. Uh, while the, the whole market is uh, struggling, people talking about that as a hard time right now on investments, on sales. See companies are, um, are reducing their security budget or IT budget and still, they're there hitting hard. That's really nice to see. Yeah, it's great to see. It's great to see the success. And there, some of the other companies in the category have taken a lot more money with a lot less revenue. And uh, yeah, I think you know, even though it's big numbers, it, it seems looking in from the outside that it's justified. So that's uh, it's nice to see that coming through. Yep. Um, and I'm going to tease this right now. Uh, in, in about a month's time, I'm scheduled to do an interview with their with Colin Jones, their chief revenue officer. Right. Um, he was there pretty much right from the start, one of the first hires into the sales team. So uh, hopefully he'll be able to take us on a journey about those early days and how they started getting some success and the learnings from that whole process. So subject to calendars and all the rest of it, uh, I'm looking forward to having the chat with Colin in about a month's time. All right. Tell me about the day that you won your first real live paying customer at Red Access. Not design partner, but you know, first real live paying customer. Yeah, the first the first customer that. All right, it was um, last July, twenty twenty two. It was at, at a financial institution with sixteen thousand employees. This company um, they used to work from the office before COVID. And when the, um, the first lockdown started, part of the workforce had to work remotely. So they had to quickly decide on, on a solution to secure the remote browsing activities. Um, so they used a VPN service to access uh, corporate resources. And it lasted for two years. And um, over time, the hybrid workforce started to grow, finally became permanent. And the VPN solution started to show its limitations. It was not suitable anymore. And they looked for a unified solution, both for their in-office and hybrid workforce, protect browsing and manage access in a, in a frictionless way. And they selected the Red Access platform. So 
after we started, they, they told us like, right now our users are protected from those browsing cyber threats without the need to connect to the VPN service anymore, which is um, a great news for them or download any agent to their personal devices. So on the one hand, I think like the company benefits from the agent-less architecture that make the process very easy for them. On the other hand, they have a centralized control panel where they can manage security policy for all users and their distributed devices. Um, that was the first one. And I think like we had at least five more customers at that specific use case. And I imagine inside the company, you had a bit of a celebration that day. <laughs> yeah, our company, definitely, for sure. You know, that, that's a state, a big stage in a startup where all the code that ev all the team was very focused here on, on working and developing that, it started showing its value in a real customer environment. And once the admin told us, like, I'm happy with it, you solved my problem. That, that's that's a stage. That, that's what why we um, created the company for eventually. Yeah, the validation to say we kind of knew it was good and we kind of suspected it was going to be impactful, but until someone pulls out the the checkbook and says, "Here's quite a bit of money to you know transform how we do security at my company," you don't really know, right? Um, and it's just such a validation to say, "Yes, you know the first one." You can't get the second or third one without the first one. So the first one is, uh, is important. Yeah. There is a very big gap between the customers saying, all right, it, it may work. It, so it sounds okay. It sounds like it can solve their problem to a second that is, he says like, all right, I'm going to try it out. I'm going to install it in my environment. And the third stage of I'm happy with it, there is a huge gap here in between that requires any company to get a cycle of, I don't know, testing, fixing, obviously, you know, as a new company and a product which is unique, you're, you're developing it for the first time, facing those new challenges, new issues that, that you never came across. That That's the cycle. So when you got the first one saying, I'm happy with it, it works perfectly smooth, and I'm going to pay for it. That That's a big moment. That's a moment of relief and happiness and the team is happy. Um, and it changed also the company's state from a development stage to a, I'm a service provider now. I, I love that. I, I interviewed um, Adam Gavlak last year, I think it was. Adam is the CEO at Do Control. And he's, he, I asked him a, a similar question. He goes, you know, everyone's a friendly until you ask them to pay money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everyone wants to give you advice and help and, and uh, experiences, but... Uh, until you actually ask them to pay money and they do it, uh, that's when the, the real real action starts happening. Exactly. So that would lead then, uh, Dor, to you thinking about building building a sales team, right? You've, you've got your first couple of customers. You you go, you think you said you get you know, a number of people on this use case. Um, how did you think about, A, the timing to say, yep, let's get some salespeople, and then what sort of salespeople you wanted to hire? All right, so building a sales team, building a sales team, that, that's a definition of, of something that as a first timer, you think of it as, all right, I'm going to develop my product and then I'm going to sell it, obviously. And for that, I will need a sales team to help me grow faster. And I think like speaking about the right timing. So first, you know, as an entrepreneur, you always wear different hats along the way. You started as, as um first-timer entrepreneur with just a vision. 
um, with a vision to solve a problem. Then you start working on a prototype. Then you're working on or recruiting your own team or um, building your company, your company's state of mind, and, and then getting into marketing a little bit, getting into validation with customers, touching with investors. There were many hats along the way that always, like, once you learn the process, you define that the guidelines, the guiding points you want that process to be and continue working the same way. Then you get someone in that position to be together with you. So building a sales team, I think it should be the same concept as a CEO of the company. You should start with the first sales. You sell direct to your customers and you're making the first sales. You want to get the most accurate feedback as you can and improve your product. You get want to get the customer feeling. Not, not from a summary on, on whatever system you're using, but you want to get it in, in, a, in a real call. You want to feel that. Only once you've succeeded in making those first sales, you understand the use cases. You understand the repeatable use cases. I would say that's the right timing of recruiting your sales team because it's going to be a repeatable process as well. You build your playbook. You know your use cases, you know where you win, you know where you lose. And it's going to be a repeatable process for you and for your company. So only when you feel comfortable with it and you think you got, you got a, the answer for all of those questions, that would be the right timing to start recruiting your team. And then how did you think about what type of person to hire? I, there's lots of people with opinions on this, whether you, you hire a like an SDR to book more meetings for you as the, as the founder? Or do you hire a full cycle uh, salesperson who could find uh, opportunities as well as close them? Or do you bring in a leader who then, you know, carries a bag for the first while, but really is going to be your leader? How, how did you think about that? <laughs> I think that that's always a dilemma. I mean, if you, if you can get someone who is a leader, is an expert in your space, that's an advantage for sure. But if, if this guy used to work in big companies with a, with a very defined process and a clear process. It's going to be very different working in a startup, which is basically a greenfield. Most of them don't have a, a stable playbook or a sales process. They got their first initial sales, but, but it's not going to be the same way. Also, SDR. SDR in a big company with that reputation is going to be very different from an SDR in a small startup with no reputation and no one ever heard of this name at all. So I think that's always a dilemma. And if we try to get a statistic, I would say that for each company and each entrepreneur, you will find that some the thing that worked there is going to be different from the other company. For me, what I was trying to do, I, I'm always um, in a mode of testing and fixing and test, test, create a process very quick, learn something for it. And then if you have to fix it, do it quick. Instead of spending more time until I'm getting a decision. So I started by looking for someone who is in the middle, right? So he's not a junior, but he's not a director. I need someone to be my, my first boots on the ground here. There will come with a state of mind that, that that's also an opportunity for him for getting his next job. So he will not be super expert, but not a junior. And then together, we're going to customize that process and attitude of, of sales. And um, as long as that process moves forward, you know, I'm getting more answers to that questions and then I can fix them more quickly. And I imagine that person that is joined at the hip with you, right? They're, they're in lockstep in those early days, always doing things with you, right? 
Exactly. At the beginning, we work really like hand by hand, fixing together. I mean, that's not a state of a company. I'm going to get that position. It's going to make the sales for me and I can forget it and move on to, for, to my next task. I'm always with them together in creating the process. Only when both of us can feel good with that process, that it worked, that he answered together on our, all, all of our questions, that's the moment that he will ask for more, um, I don't know, more opportunities to get things on his own. And what did you learn about that lear- learning process for, for them, for him, um, to get things out of your brain and into their brain and, um, and make sure that they could get going quickly? I think like establish first a, f- a friendship and the relationship of, of that, that is open and not like I'm your manager and you're going to work for me. I will tell you what to do. I will tell you what I think. You write everything down and now you start acting like that. I like to make them like feel first. I'm with you in that process. I'm going to be with you for the whole process. Whatever you need from me, I'm going to be there for you. And as well, I expect from your side. So we'll feel open with each other. We'll feel comfortable with each other. And then we're going to explore that process together. We're going to, to see how things are going. You're going to be much smarter in a few months than we are now. Let's start working on that with what, what we do and what we know today. And let's see how it goes. I like that because you know, even though you do have a, a use case that you can go to market on, you're still learning, right? I mean, everyone you talk to is going to be slightly different. You need someone with a mindset who can feel, feel like you've got their back. And if they come to you and say, I, I don't get something or I screwed up something up, you, they don't feel like they're going to get fired. right? <laughs> um, so having that safe environment to work closely with you, I bet, was a huge advantage for them as they were thinking about what they were doing there. I think that that's right. Maybe as a, as a CEO, I mean, you must know everything, right? You must know how to lead your team. You must know how to get the process of sales. So, and you have to do that like with a confidence that that's your job. The CEO, you need to lead that company eventually. But at one point, I will always remind myself that I'm also here to learn. There are things that I don't know. And it's very cool to admit it. I mean, I'm a first timer. That's a unique space, a new space. That's a unique approach. And there are things I'm going to learn that I don't know today and I admit it. So keeping that in mind will move you from resisting to learning and adapting and evolving. And, that, and that's the process. That's how I believe you should build a company. I like that. Um, when you think about your sales team, Dor, um, or your sales, let's say your sales motions, your, your whole go-to-market right now, if you could fix one thing just overnight, even though it probably can't be fixed overnight, if you could fix one thing for your team right now, what would it be? If I have to fix one thing, um, that's a good question. Things I would fix. Because um, I feel we, we fixed a lot of them already, but maybe I can share one of those. I think that, that when we started, we took on ourselves um, very big missions that, that we should have had. I mean, like start working with enterprises, large enterprises as first customers. It worked, but for the company, for the sales team, where the, uh, you know, the sales cycle, obviously, more complex, takes um, much longer. Um, maybe I would start from smaller companies, I would say, at the beginning. Get, I, I would get more feedback. I mean, instead of, of putting a lot of effort in one or two 
very big companies, I would start by getting many more smaller companies so I could get more feedback in the first place. Um, and I think it, it would accelerate our growth significantly. So by going to, yeah, by going to mid-market companies and more of them, you get quicker, you get quicker feedback just because then the speed they work at or the easier access you get. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? I think getting more touch points, more touch points with customers. So you get different feedback from different customers, different environments, different needs. And then you can decide better when you got more, more data to work with. Instead of working in a um, big, shiny logo of a big company, you want to have, obviously, I want to show that logo, which is my customer. And he's happy with my product. Um, but I think like time perspective, time management here, I would fix that. Okay. If I can go back in time. And last question. Let's flip things around a little bit. Is there a question for me about um, go-to-market selling at cybersecurity startups that I can attempt to answer for you or address? Yeah, for sure. I think that for any um, cybersecurity company um, that works in any space inside of cybersecurity, there's always a very small gap between productivity and security for their customers. Eventually, customers, they need to work. That's a company that needs to work, but they also want to be secure. How much do you think that companies, specifically startups, considering that when establishing in a new idea? I mean, all right, you, you got it. Or you want me to? Uh... No, no. I, I think that uh, I think very few. Well, let me, let me put it this way: I, I don't think that many companies don't consider it. I think very, very few companies make it a center of how they. Think about building the company and the product, right? I, I think that um, one of the things that has been true in security for a long time is you know, when you bring something to market, you start with visibility, right? We'll give visibility. And in the rush to visibility, you know, you, you, you anchor around that and you get people excited about the visibility you're going to give them, right? And I kind of look at visibility as the easy button, right? It, it, you know, by definition, you're not doing anything else. You're not blocking anything. You're not um, necessarily, you're mediating anything. You're basically saying, I'm just going to shine a light on these things that you didn't know about before. And and frankly, we talked about Wiz. I mean, that's one of the things that Wiz did very well at the start, right? They, they had a very, very, very short time to market, uh, time to value for their customers to see all the things they didn't know were going on inside their cloud, right? You know, interface was beautiful and it was, work, workflows were good and it was just there, right? Um, but I think, you know, in, in many ways, that's the easy button, right? It's, it's, uh, it, it's easier to do uh, before you then start getting the hard task of saying, well, now what, right? And I think that's where sometimes th those decisions are, are maybe, in my opinion, pushed out a little bit. You know, we'll, we'll start with visibility. And when it comes to the hard things, we'll get there. And we'll figure that out. And that's why it becomes a little bit of a, a lagging thing and, it's, obviously, it's really important that we have you know good user experience, but it's not the core tenet of what they do, right? Um, I think we've seen that again and again and again. And you know, you, like you say in the Casby space a few years back, a couple of companies got a lot of traction at the gate with visibility, and then they kind of disappeared a little bit when it came to the next wave of well, now you got to start blocking stuff. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's hard. It's hard to do because if you block the wrong stuff, then People are very mad at you. <laughs> People get fired for doing that sort of stuff and you impact, you know, uh, revenue streams inside companies. 
So that, that's where I think, you know, as you're saying, you know, if you've got the, 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 the tr- three points of the triangle from the outset and it governs how you do things, you probably do have an advantage compared to those that are kind of going to get there, but they haven't quite got there yet. I don't know if that's how you were thinking about it, but it's, that's, that's what sprung to mind when you asked that question. Oh, that, that's a good answer. Well, listen, I've enjoyed our conversation this morning, Dor. Um, a lot of good things going on. Uh, if someone wants to get in touch with you and keep going with the conversation or talk about future employment at, uh, at Red Access, what's the best way to do that? Um, we got many different channels. Um, can use our website, can use our emails, uh, LinkedIn, any acceptable way. Uh, we have our sales team in the United States. Just pick one. Very good. Well, listen, I'm uh, looking forward to seeing you at RSA this year. Is that right? You'll be there? Yep. Very good. I'll see you at RSA. And I wish you and, I wish you and the team of your success for the rest of the year and into the next year as well. Thank you so much. And thank you for inviting us today. Well, there was someone who brought a very thoughtful approach to how they're tackling a, a hot part of the market, how they're building the company, building the product, and the some of the philosophies that they're, they're bringing to how they do all that. I really liked how Dor described a lot of the things they have going on at Red Access. Uh, for me, there was probably three things uh, that I took away from this. The first one was the centering around those guiding principles. And uh, to remind you, they were user experience, the ease of management, and also the, the security with their approach. And his, his, his idea is that we should, they should not be compromising on those three things, which is hard to do, frankly. You know, in security, as we as we know over the years, it's always been, you know, pick one or two of those three things. But in the day, the other, the other one's going to be hard to do, right? And if they're bringing something to market which tackles all three, that's going to be very compelling for a lot of different people. I thought it was interesting as well. Uh, second takeaway was how we described that moment when they got their first customer, right? It was obviously the celebration and the validation and things like that. But he said we moved from being essentially a development company, a software development company, into a real company with customers and commercial things about it, right? So you have to you know, take orders and process and support the, these customers. So that whole transition, as he described it, was really interesting and very thoughtful. And the final thing uh, I thought was interesting was um, how he described how they approached solving the problem. And it was to start with solving the problem as opposed to thinking, well, let's get into a category or we've got some expertise in this technology. Let's figure out where we might go and solve problems with this technology, right? What I heard from him was, you know, we, we did the customer discovery. We found the problem. We got centered in and around that. And then we figured out, well, what's a different way to solve the problem given our guiding principles? Right? I think that that's, for me, that was quite compelling. And I bet you there's, there's a lot of companies out there who probably think that that's how they do it, but I wonder if they get a little bit wrapped up in their technology um, and think about how cool their technology is and how cool the product is, and then think about you know where it might uh, go and be used and have some impact, which of course is probably not the right way around. Um, so I, th- I thought, thought it was really good how you got the centering around the problem. Um, clearly, you've obviously got some expertise, but the centering around the problem and then using the guiding principles to, to solve that. So for me, great episode, uh, really thoughtful person, you know, company that's starting to grow, getting some traction, and be really interested to see where Red Access goes. They'll be at the Early Stage Expo 
at RSA this year, and uh, I'll catch up with them there, and I hope you do too. It would mean a lot to me and to the continued growth of the show if you'd help get the word out. So how do you do that easily? There are two ways. Firstly, just simply send a link to a friend. Send a link to the show, to this episode. Um, You can email it, text it, Slack it, whatever works for you and is easy for you. The second way is to leave a super quick rating. And sometimes that can seem complicated, so I've made it as easy for you as I can. You simply have to go to ratethispodcast.com slash cyber. That's ratethispodcast.com slash cyber and explains exactly how to do it. Either of these ways will take you less than 30 seconds to do and it will mean the world to me. So thank you.